From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women. Celebrating Powerhouse Women is proudly presented by CAB Incorporated and Capital City Home Loans. And hello again, everybody, and welcome back to another inspiring episode of Celebrating Powerhouse Women here on Business Radio X. I am your host, Amanda Pierch, and this is the series that salutes and recognizes women leaders making an impact in our community. Today is my pleasure to introduce our guest, and you guys might know her throughout the community, Tracy Kaysen, who serves as the Superior Court Judge here in Gwinnett County, presiding over Division Two. Welcome your honor thank you so much for having me amanda <laughs> you're welcome and for men and women it's both your honor right there's correct no, okay yeah. so there's no difference in in the gender there's not well while i want to pay homage to tracy's role within the community as um the superior court judge she has given me permission to call her tracy throughout the remainder of the show of course <laughs> so tracy handles uh felony and criminal cases domestic and family law cases and civil disputes um, she has been for three years the um, judge here in Gwinnett and also previous to that she was a prosecutor for 18 years so Tracy and I know each other through uh, being active in the community of Gwinnett and actually we enjoyed a very special gala last year together mm -hmm. where we got to boogie on that's the dance right, floor that's right the home of hope home of hope yes um, Maureen help me with the last name because I saw Cornoa. Cornoa. she is also a powerhouse lady she is and she's actually my campaign chairperson very nice yes that's why it's such a powerful campaign indeed and I will say that she throws a dang good party too. she really does and we raised a lot of money that night mm -hmm. so we'll kind of circle back around into all the all the arms of community participation that you're in but let's kind of start from the beginning you and I were sharing before the show some commonalities that we have as far as our fur babies and enthusiasms but for the listeners who don't know Tracy let's kind of rewind back to uh, where it all began okay and I'll let you decide at what year mark that is but I'm thinking maybe around 12 that's right that's right so <laughs> right. um yeah i grew up in dublin georgia which is where my dad's uh family grew up his family was from lawrence county and uh so i grew up in dublin and when i was in elementary school we had a mock trial and i fell in love with the law back then and even though i was only a witness in that first mock trial i was i was bitten and some reason I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. I loved that part of it. I loved the idea of protecting people. And so with a brief little thing of maybe I might want to be a math teacher a few years later, I always stuck with wanting to be a lawyer. In fact, I think one of my friends wrote in our senior yearbook that I was the only person that she knew that was, you know, knew what they wanted to do. And I am very fortunate, I think, that I am one of those rare people that I've always known what I wanted to do. I'm doing it, and I love it. I just love it. You're leading a purpose-driven life. Absolutely. Do you remember that book? I do remember that book, ago? yes. You know, it's funny you said that about mock trials, because I have not even thought back that far in high school, and that just totally brought back to life all of like the debate, the mock trials, and et cetera. Right. Yeah. That's amazing that at that time you kind of got the the bite as you said yeah. the spirit so from there kind of how did you navigate and pursue that passion and help manifest it into the career that you are in today so I was you know very um, fortunate to be raised in a family that it wasn't if you were going to college it was where you were going to college and honestly that where wasn't even that much of a choice either because my dad was a dog mm -hmm. and I had uncles that were dogs and I had 
cousins that were dogs and my sister. And of course, for those of you that maybe don't know, that's the University of Georgia, yes. which is D-A-W-G-S. And, dogs. Um, dogs. Mm-hmm. So um, I just always knew that's where I was going to go to school. And when I went there, I got involved in Phi Kappa Literary Society, got involved in student organizations there, majored in criminal justice. And I was like, whew, I better be a lawyer because it's either a lawyer or a cop with this major. Um, and I loved the idea of law enforcement. I did not like the idea of running toward gunfires like mm-hmm. Rick and I were just talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Um, I'm a little bit of a scaredy cat. And uh, so I'm like, well, I'll just take care of it, you know, after law enforcement right. has done their job. Still having a very large impact right. um, in that. That's very interesting. I never thought running toward gunfire. Well, again, for those of you listening who might not be local, Tracy mentioned that she graduated from the University of Georgia. Go dogs. Go dogs. And also, uh, she went to Baylor University School of Law. And she lives very near Athens, where her and her husband enjoy spending many a Saturdays during the fall. Exactly. Um, kind of going back to that purpose-driven life. At such a young age, what things or what markers did you put into place in order to achieve the goal that you knew you wanted to reach at that time? So, I, you know, I had a timeline of you go to college, you go to law school, and you then you go to work as a lawyer. Um, it got interrupted a little bit. I went to college, finished in three years, and everybody's like, why'd you finish UGA in three years? Why didn't you do another football season? I'm like, well, I had season tickets. I didn't, uh-huh. I didn't need to go to school to get my tickets. But So I took that time. I had interned at the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. my last quarter of college. It was required for my degree. Fell in love with D.C., just loved it. And so um, I ended up just taking kind of what people now call a gap year, you know, between, uh, some call it the gap year between uh, high school and college, but I kind of did it between college and law school, Mm -hmm. and just moved back up to D.C., lived on the hill, it was fantastic, lived right across from the Hart Senate building, and I just got a temp job, and I worked, ended up working at the Smithsonian Castle, and in the Latin American program of all places, and I was the accountant, just not at all related to what I was doing. I mean, right. I attempt for a, a law firm for like a week, but still experiential. Exactly. I was just, but I was like, um, you know, growing up in Dublin, small town, it was just a nice experience. And I got to meet folks from all over the country. And the place I stayed was a dorm for professional women. Wow. And it was designed precisely for young women that were coming to D.C. that, you know, most of them were um, Hill interns. Mm -hmm. So those interning for congressmen, senators, and things like that. And so you can imagine staying in a place like that, what kind of women we met. Right. And of my group, uh, four of us went on to law school. Wow. And are you still in touch with those ladies? We are. That's amazing. And they're from all over the country. So I'm in Georgia. One's still in D.C. She works for the World Bank. One works for Penn State. One works for the mayor out in Seattle. One is in um, Bond um, Bond Law. I don't even know, understand what she does. But she's in San Francisco. And one works for Dell in Texas. Very cool. Yeah. And you guys all came from different places. But you all had the same, um, as you said, just like temp experience. 
but that really kind of wet the whistle for you there in D.C. And I'm right. sure that that kind of gave you a lot more vigor yes. because you were there at the Capitol. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to, you know, I'd walk to work and I'd see the president out for his morning jog. And regardless of whether you liked what, his. What president was that? And now you're going to make me tell my age. On, so see. it was Bill Clinton. Was he? It was. And. You know, wait, like, were the bodyguards jogging alongside they him? They were. Stop. They were. I can picture it like in a pack of four, him in the yeah. middle and like two in the front and two in the oh, back. Oh, yeah. Well, and then you had, you know, the presidential limo and the cop cars and the ambulance that were driving on the road. Man. Beside. But yeah, he's just out jogging first like morning jog person. on the mall. Very cool. And I'm like, there's the hey, president. Yeah. And I'm going to work in the Smithsonian Castle. Like, how cool is this? So cool. Yeah. Well, it's obvious that you had some experiences that really kind of enriched um, your desire to continue and and press forward. Talk about how you uh, transitioned from that time in D.C., I guess, back here to Georgia and fill in the gaps for our listeners. So I did come back um, for just a few months because I needed to save a little bit more money. So I could, uh, you can imagine, I didn't save any money. Cost of living out there is a little bit higher than here. Yeah. And so I came back for just a few months before I ended up going out to Baylor and um, I had researched Baylor. I knew I wanted to be a litigator, and I had never been to Texas. And so I actually went to visit while I was working in D.C., fell in love with the school. Um, it was a smaller school, and the professors didn't have office hours. So mm-hmm. if they were available, you could pop in. And it was just really nice. And they actually taught you how to practice law in addition to the normal law school curriculum. So it was just a really neat program that um, you actually had to learn how to file a complaint or answer discovery or file discovery. Mm-hmm. And um, and what was even nicer, and I didn't even know it until it was time to graduate, and it's just so appropriate for kind of this segment is, you know, this is back in the late 90s mm-hmm. when I graduated. And obviously tons of progress had been made as far as equality and things like that. But right before we graduated, our associate dean, who was female, she and the other female professors took all of the graduating females out to lunch. And there were maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us, not a ton. And the reason they did that is they said, you know, you're going to have a hard time finding mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, And particularly, you're going to have a hard time finding female mentors, which is really a sad kind of comment on women's relationships. But they're like, we're here. So you get out in the workforce and you need some advice, you need a listening ear, that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. And so it was just neat to have that resource, exactly network of resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is true. And a, a lot of um, powerhouse ladies whom I've had the pleasure of interviewing before you have shared something very similar about uh, the dynamic of women in the professional world and personal mm-hmm. world. And I would agree it is very uh, it's essential to have a, a network or have your tribe of right. resources and you know, friends if they are friends, but also people that you can trust and kind of lean on for their expertise as well. Right. And while I don't believe that all things are gender specific, I do believe that there's a certain alliance between, like you said, women in those roles. Right. So within that group, and you mentioned the word mentor, how many people do you still remain in contact with, if not them all? And who out of that group would you say made an impact most greatly to you? So it's funny, um, I don't remain in contact with um, really any of those folks from law school, just because um, moving back to Georgia right after law school, you kind of lose that connection. Um, 
I will say I actually had a, a very good mentor when I was in the Dublin DA's office, but and it was a man because uh-huh. there weren't any other females there. Um, and I think that's um, that can be typical. And again, it's a kind of an unfortunate commentary that, um, and we need to change it, is that professional women don't do a good enough job of mentoring other professional women. We've got to Reach make back. sure... Yeah, we understand that when all of us make progress, or when one of us makes progress, we all make progress. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I had just, you know, a great mentor when I was in Dublin. He taught me stuff, but he also gave me my wings to fly on my own and to do my own thing. And, Mm -hmm. um, which I think we babysit maybe young young lawyers a little bit more today than we need to, which Mm -hmm. I saw when I was with the DA's office. because you know my first trial they're like okay we're gonna sit with you and and we'll be right here and we got the jury we selected the jury and then all of a sudden I'm looking around and I'm like where'd they go Uh oh. and so there I was trying my case which you've got to do that I mean you need some training but you've also got to be pushed out so you can do your thing and learn and it was just the best way to learn and develop your own rhythm exactly because what you have seen you know i'm sure you saw many examples in being in the court of um of people that served in your exact same role and they were a depiction of what you did not want to be or the way you did not want to rule um you were so kind to stay and and entertain me with this show immediately after one that you were just hosted on so i know you've been speaking for a while Mm -hmm. but i got to catch the tail end of your show with rick strawn which is case in point every other wednesday here on gwinnett business radio x and um you mentioned that you have a skill that is very important in the courtroom and it is that of being a great listener is that a skill that you were born with or is that something that you had to develop throughout your um, personal awareness journey or throughout kind of sitting in that role? I think if you probably had asked my mother, she would have said I probably wasn't a good listener. Although, let me be clear, I was a nerd and I was a good child. But um, no, I think as a friend, I tended to be that one that folks would come to, that my friends would come to and say hey I've got this issue or or you know can you help me out with this problem and so I think even early on I was I was that person that was willing to listen and to offer advice and that kind of kept going when I was with the DA's office I'd have several friends or um, individuals that I was supervising that they would come and share personal issues and say you know this is what I've got going on and can you help me out with that and I would try to, you know, just listen and give them my perspective, and um, and you've got to have that as as a judge. You really do. I mean, you need it as a prosecutor, obviously, but that is the critical, I think, skill for a judge is to make sure that we are listening and hearing, and you, you've got to do both. You've got to listen and then actually hear and process what people are saying, right, and that's absolutely critical for them having trust in the system because if they're heard then they feel seen and and that it's fair right right and through the process obviously it is our judicial judicial system it is their right to be heard and it is your responsibility to receive that um 
information Indeed. and like you said digest it I don't think I would be good at what you do Tracy a because I'm not that great of a listener as opposed to a chatter but B also I think it would be hard to kind of receive the information that you receive and be able to give an unbiased ruling um, share with me just out of curiosity and then I'll, I'll get out of the, uh, the courtroom because you live in it all day right. when you have to make a decision or a ruling how are you able to kind of field the things that you hear and I'm going to use a strong word it might not be appropriate but compartmentalize is that maybe the right word because you're hearing all kinds of radical things and you are forced to make a decision based on the information that is presented to you but where do you kind of um, help me understand your thinking throughout that process because sometimes you you can't just rely on logic sometimes you have to take your emotion completely out of the situation in order to rule fairly what goes on in your mind when you're you're coming to these decisions yeah and I think you you did hit on it you do have to compartmentalize and it doesn't mean that I don't have a personal opinion about whatever situation is in front of me because I'm human of course I do but what I have to do is extract what I am legally bound to be doing which you know depending on the kind of um, case it is if it's a criminal case then I have to look at what the evidence shows of what that individual did not necessarily um, who that individual is though I do take that into account depending on the circumstance and trying to fashion a sentence that is going to hit the root of the problem as well as protect the community and the victim but you you really just have to step back and say, okay, here's the evidence that's presented. And then what is my duty in this particular case? So like in custody cases, it's what's in the best interest of the, the child. child. And I've told parents more often than not, I'm like, my duty is not to you. My duty is not to make either one of you happy. My duty is to make sure that I've got the best interest of this child and I make decisions that are in their best interest. Mm-hmm. And neither one of you may leave here happy mm-hmm. or you both may leave here happy that's not my job my job is to make sure that that child is protected mm-hmm. and I get a lot of nods when I tell parents that because they're like oh okay okay and it kind of refocuses them to why they're in court because a lot of as you can imagine parents forget about the kids when they're in court and I think too coming from a criminal background it really helped me to be able to take the emotion out of it because and I hate to use this word but I I think it's the only word that's appropriate you do get a little desensitized Mm -hmm. and that may not necessarily be a bad thing in this context because I mean the more you're exposed to anything the more you're desensitized Mm -hmm. to it whether it's a good or bad Um, I was gonna say you become callous so you said exactly the same thing right right and and you you have to actually really work against becoming calloused I think you can be desensitized without being calloused and you almost have to be desensitized otherwise you'll be in a fetal position under your desk Mm -hmm. um, with the types of cases that we see yeah Yeah. Mm. well you said something that also stands out to me you said that you're a protector of the community and that is what you do first and foremost and first of all I want to thank you so much for serving uh, Gwinnett County fervently and always having the best interest of of the community at heart what are some things that you yourself do or um, you guys do as a whole within the, the the judge role to give back 
to the community? I know I see you at civic events, at chamber events, so on and so forth, but what are some things that are kind of near and dear to your heart that you participate in? Well, so clearly because of the way I got introduced to the legal system, um, I've been a coach for mock trial um, since the late 90s when I was in Dublin. At a I, school or like High a, school, okay. yeah. So I coached West Lawrence High School uh, mock trial when I was down in Lawrence County. And then when I moved up here, I coached Duluth High School for a number of years. We won the region, so we were super excited. Um, and then the, it just, you know, Gwinnett's a big county. It so um, from where we lived in Loganville, it just got to be a little bit too much of a distance. And so... Then we moved to Bethlehem, and then we um, have established the mock trial program at Tequila High School. Nice. And so, um, and then when, you know, unfortunately, like when my teams don't advance beyond the regional competition, then I'll always volunteer to judge the district competitions or the state competition because it was so important to yeah. me growing up, that whole process. And so I love coaching mock trial. Um, as you can imagine from the types of cases that I did, um, and of course, you know, you're a big supporter of Home of Hope mm -hmm. Children's Shelter. So my husband and I will go out there. I can't give legal advice, mm -hmm. but he will go out, talk to some of the residents there. If they have small legal issues, he can help them navigate. Is he in through. law as well? He is. He's okay. a lawyer. Very nice. He is. And then I can explain, like, if they just have a question about, well, how does this process work? Mm -hmm. Then I can explain the judicial process or how the mm -hmm. case may work its way through the system because I can't give advice. Right. But we try to give back in that because, as you can probably imagine, the mothers of these children have often of have questions. and often have some legal mm -hmm. uh, obstacles that they need to get out of the way in order to be able to uh, advance their life and their goals and right. that thing. Very neat. I, I didn't think about that, but that makes total sense. As far as the mock trial coaching, I bet that that just kind of ignites a fire within you when you sit there and you remember being on the other side and being inspired as a youngster. So, and I know you can't be biased, never can you be biased, but just out of curiosity, based on all the mock trials that you coach, have you seen anybody similar to yourself that you saw right then? You're like, oh, they've got it. They're going to go for it. And you know that they have a bright future uh in in a realm of sorts oh absolutely so we have we have two students right now in tequila one is about to graduate she is i mean she's a natural she's better than a lot of lawyers i see in my courtroom and we're so excited because she just got a full ride to princeton oh, and nice. she wants to go into law so, so the tigers excited. aren't they princeton tigers i think they are yeah i think they are yes um, they are and then we've got another student that She's about to be a junior, and she is amazing and wants to go into law, so I can't wait wow. to see what the next couple of years. But many years ago at Duluth, uh, we coached a young lady that we really thought was going to go into law, but um, she actually went into um, naval intelligence. Oh, right. Nice. And I see her mother um, a good bit out in the community, and she just, oh, she warms my heart because mm. she says, you know, those skills that you taught her in mock trial – really helped oh, her yeah. become the professional that she is yeah i can and, imagine yeah i mean it's just so um it's so rewarding when you get a kid that may not be quite so confident and then you just see them blossom yes. like you teach the law and then you give them the opportunity to perform because it is a performance it's a right. competition and you just see them that confidence yeah. grow and you're just like 
I mean, I'll get frustrated with it. And I'm not going to lie. I'll be like, I've been in court all day. I really do not want to go coach. And I, every year I say I'm not going to do it because it's just too much. And but then every year I get drawn back in because when it gets to competition time, they somehow pull it together and you see everything that you've taught and they're putting it into play and you're like, oh, that's awesome. Nice. So, yeah, so then I get drawn back in. That kind of speaks to um, the way that you serve as a mentor, I'm sure. If any one of the um, candidates for the mock trials wanted to call upon you or have a conversation or coffee, I'm sure that you would welcome that. And that's a testament to you doing the reach back and pulling other people forward. Tracy, before um, we take a quick break, or excuse me, I apologize, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about our fur babies. All right, here's a word from our partners. Since 1982, CAB Incorporated has been a distinguished leader in manufacturing and global sourcing, serving a variety of industries including infrastructure, hydraulics, automotive, and rail with their precision machined iron and steel products. As a woman-owned company, CAB Incorporated is proud to be a returning partner of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women Series. With strong roots in the past and firm footing in the future, Capital City Home Loans combines an old-fashioned sense of community with a progressive attitude. They are a trusted full-service lender, offering mortgage finance products and empowering their associates to help clients choose the best options. They are focused on being the best and strongest lender in the Southeast. Visit cchl.com locations to see all of their offices, including Gwinnett. And welcome back, friends, to Celebrating Powerhouse Women. I am your host, Amanda Pierce, joined in studio today by Superior Court Judge Tracy Kaysen. Um, before the break, we were talking about her enthusiasm for the courtroom and also in giving back to the the next generation of lawyers or possibly um, anybody within the justice system through the mock trial programs. But we're going to deviate from that, and we're going to talk about our four-legged friends, Tracy. You and I were swapping photos before the show yes. of our little doxy babies. Yes. Uh, Tracy and I are both have a, an affinity for the dachshund breed, and she has a pack of troublemakers. Oh, we do. And I only had one um, who is no longer with me, Miss Reagan. Mm. However, she's smiling down in heaven at us right now. But just share with our listeners a little bit about the uh, chaos that you manage at home with your four-legged friends. Yes. And go ahead and tell us uh, a little bit about them and share with them their names being that you're a UGA enthusiast. Okay. So yeah, we, uh, my husband and I have four, yes, four fur babies, and uh, we love them just crazily. And uh, so we have three dachshunds that we rescued, and then we have a chocolate lab that we got from a friend of ours in Dublin. Um, but our dachshunds, as I you know mentioned earlier, we're huge Georgia fans. So our dachshunds are named Munson, Dooley, and Irk, which is of course short for Erskine Russell. Ooh. So. Uh, his name is Erskine Russell Kaysen. When he's in trouble. Er- That's right. When he's in trouble, it's Erskine. Erskine Russell Kaysen. So, I love it. I love it. Thanks, Mike. Um, Mike is also a UGA grad. Yes. So. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. So, so they, um, it is funny because like I said, we adopted them and we named them before we got them. And they have taken on the personalities of who they're named their after. Namesake. So, Munson is our talker, and everybody say a little prayer for my Munson man because he had surgery yesterday, had to remove a mask. But he is, we think, maybe 18-ish, so, and he's still kicking. 
and he's our talker. Mm-hmm. And then Dooley is uh, will be 15 in August, and he does take after Vince Dooley. He's our quiet, contemplative thinker. He's actually a dachshund Jack Russell mix with mm-hmm. zero Jack Russell personality. He's our couch potato, mm-hmm. unlike Vince. But uh, And then Irk, for those of you that know, Irk came in as a puppy and just started headbutting the other two dogs like, play with me, play with me. Which, of course, is what Irk Russell would do to his players. Mm-hmm. And then MMA, she's not named for a Georgia person. She's named after my uh, husband's grandmother. Aww. And she is a beautiful, beautiful um, milk chocolate lab. So it's just the most gorgeous. Color, yeah. Yeah, it's just, and she's the sweetest thing. She was supposed to be a hunting dog, but she's a house dog. Aww. And she's a sweetheart. She was supposed to be a hunting dog for the people that you adopted her with before no. or for you and your husband? We got her as a puppy mm-hmm. and for my husband to be a hunting dog. A bird dog? A bird dog. Mm-hmm. And she went to bird dog school, but then she got hurt Aww. at bird dog school. Well, she strained her leg. Oh, bless and She God. wasn't hurt that badly, yeah. thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she came home and that was all she wrote. Well, when she, she retired. came home. Then she had to be a house dog. Oh, bless her heart. Which we tell her being a house dog is better than being a hunting dog. It is. Well, so. she's, now let me just ask you, does she kind of rear the doxies? Because she is the largest of the four, does she assume that role or do the doxies take over because there's three of them and one of her? Oh, no. They rule the roost. And here's the funny thing. She thinks she's a dachshund. Ooh. She thinks she's a little dog. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that have ever seen that um, Disney movie, The Ugly Dachshund, mm-hmm. it's like from the 60s with Suzette Plachette and it was like three little show doxies and the husband wanted a big dog Mm -hmm. so he got a Great Dane well the Great Dane you know thought it was a dachshund Mm because it was raised by dachshunds so we call her the pretty dachshund oh the pretty dachshund well I love that they are so energetic and slightly mischievous and that when they run it just looks so funny with their little legs like that and um, I'm, I'm thrilled that we have that in common. I know that as they age, you know, they get, I, I call it the raccoon face because Reagan's whole muzzle got silver. And then her eyes yes. and her little rear end too. That's how Munson is. They just look so, so stoic. They, well, they look and regal. regal. Jinx. Yes. Regal. regal. That's exactly what I was yes. thinking. Do you and your doggies like to go for walks? What do you and your husband like to do for fun? <clears throat> So we go to all of the Georgia sporting events. Um, Emma goes for walks because she's bigger. She's bigger and she is the more well-trained. She is a lab. So she has a better disposition for minding. Um, As you were pointing out, the doxies um, have little stubborn streaks Mm -hmm. in them. And whereas Munson and Dooley would probably be okay. Irk is a full-on rabble rouser. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't. We can't take him. We can't take him anywhere. He's confrontational. So he is. He's like, and so we're like, well, buddy, I know you like to go, but you, you can't gotta stay. Now we do take them on vacation. We take them as many places with us as yeah, as we can friendly. because we don't like to leave them. No. And thankfully, we have a dog sitter that will come stay with them, so we don't have to board them. Oh, thank goodness! I hated. I I, I rarely boarded Reagan, only in her youth a couple times, and at the place that she's been groomed for over a decade. But leaving them is it's oh, very it's, hard. They're mm-hmm. they're our babies. 
Well, thank you for allowing me to get to know a little bit of the personal side of, of you. I wanted to share as because we are on a podcast, um, I turned to podcasting to learn about individuals and for personal growth and development and uh, just for entertainment sometimes. What are some podcasts that you enjoy listening to or some books? I know you don't probably have too much time to read recreationally, but just some things that Tracy enjoys outside of the courtroom. So I don't listen to a ton um, of podcasts, although my husband and I did listen to the Red Clay series uh, about the Dixie Mafia mm-hmm. and um, that kind of whole thing that, you know, wrapped Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina back in the, the 60s. Um, but honestly, when I have free time as far as reading, I like um, fiction. Mm-hmm. I like Mary Kay Andrews, who is a Georgia native. She used to write for the AJC. Wow. And she lives in Savannah, so she writes a lot of her books around Savannah, Tybee. And they're just fun, you know, Mm -hmm. the beach read type books because everything we deal with in our work is so heavy. You want to just relax your mind. When I relax, it's, you know, Big Bang Theory Mm -hmm. that's just funny. Funny and silly. Yep. Uh Yep. I feel you 100%. Sometimes you have to just totally detach so that you can stay refreshed um, in order to serve in the way that you do. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to give um, some young ladies, because we're speaking specifically about about the ladies, advice um, who are who are kind of heading into their professional development and career, what are some things that you would kind of leave with our, our listeners um, about your progression to success? I would say, I mean, know your goals and know the path that you want to take. I was very specific in that I wanted to develop my career before I thought about having a relationship or having a family and um, and I was very intentional about that and so you know be intentional about what your plan is and understand that where you may have folks that will help you you've got to stand up for yourself mm-hmm. and a lot of women have a hard time doing that and the ones that do sometimes get criticized for being bossy or other words Mm -hmm. and we've got to make sure that we're teaching our young women to stand up for themselves but also to do it in a way that's non-offensive and some people may be like that's offensive but we all have to live in this world and if you try to throw something in somebody's face and force something on them it's the biggest way for them to put up a wall and for you not to get what you want And that's not to say that you cave or you compromise, but you need to make sure that you're being intentional and you're being um, forceful in a non-offensive way because the ultimate goal is to get what you want Mm -hmm. and you need to figure out the way to do that. Speaking from a personal, I'm asking you from a personal development standpoint, um, I experience that sometimes with my delivery. Um, what would you, what advice would you give or what things would you say is, are crucial to making sure that your message is heard, that you're, you're representing yourself strong and well, but without being viewed so um, overbearing or forward or um, offensive or the other words? What are some pointers that you'd give specifically someone like me? Well, I think you've got to present something in a way that's non-accusatory. Because the moment like somebody accuses me of something, the walls go up, I'm not listening to them. Even if I were to agree with them, I'm probably not ever going to admit it because of the way it was delivered. Mm. And so 
you have to be non-accusatory. You have to present um, ideas in a way that they can get to that place without you forcing them to that place. And I say that to my husband sometimes. I'm like, I might agree with you, but the way in which you just presented that, my competitive nature is not going to let me do that. And so you have to kind of take that out of it if your ultimate goal is to get somebody to come around to your side. Mm -hmm. It can't be forced upon them. You have to be non-accusatory and allow them to get there on their own. Hmm. And so that they, they can own that decision as opposed to you force that decision on them. You just made me think. I, I can imagine that you and your husband, not to, to say you have many disputes within the household, but I'm sure when you guys have any point of contention that it is an interesting way that you come to your decision. Because you both plead good cases and, and deliver good arguments. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And I will say there are just some uh, things we don't talk about at home. Hey, I understand that. Well, thank you. Approach it from a non-accusatory standpoint and kind of help guide people to get there on their own. Allow right. them to, to get to that message. Tracy, thank you for that advice and thank you for all of the the wisdom that you've shared with our listeners. I would be remiss if I didn't allow you to share where people might be able to find um, your current campaign as you are running. Sure. Uh, share with uh, them your campaign site or how they can reach you or support you. Oh, excellent. Thank you so much. So yes, um, judges are elected, so I am running for re-election. And I have a website. It's www.tracycason.com. And that's T-R-A-C-I-E-C-A-S-O-N. Uh, tracycason.com and so you can go on there you can email us it's got our phone number um, but the biggest thing is to make sure that people understand that the judges races are nonpartisan. so our general election is may 24th mm -hmm. and that's same for the school board as well which is a big change uh, for gwinnett voters that they just changed school board to nonpartisan. so your nonpartisan races judges and school board May 24th is our general election. You will not find us on the November ballot. Okay. So you have to vote in May. May. And, of course, early voting starts May 2nd, runs through May 24th. There are eight, I believe, uh, early voting precincts. You can pick any one of those. You don't have to pick the one closest to your home. Mm -hmm. um, and then, obviously, the day of, you go to your precinct. Right. But um, May 2nd through 20th and May 24th get out there and vote you gotta vote i love seeing your signs so, all over the place that green you. and the blue is sharp thank i love you. seeing it of course and i look forward to seeing you out in the marketplace as you and i rub elbows in some of the same That's places right. again thank you for joining us tracy i've been speaking with superior court judge here in gwinnett county tracy Kaysen, and she is absolutely a powerhouse woman <laughs> i <laughs> love dogs. it go dogs we are red and black up in here um, for all of you out there listening who care to enjoy previous episodes, our episodes are available 24-7 online at businessradiox.com, but no need to even just type that into your computer on your handheld device or your cellular telephone. Go wherever you enjoy your audio shows and type in Celebrating Powerhouse Women. If you find value in this series, I would appreciate a subscription and also a five-star review. Um, until next time, I am your host, Amanda Pierce, and this has been Celebrating Powerhouse Women.